Welcome to this week's episode of Latchkey Movies, the podcast where we take a critical look at the movies your kids are watching without your supervision. Today, we're going to talk about the 1993 movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah, I guess, is the official Tim title. Tim Burton is important, right? My name is Sarah. I am the mom of a five-year-old boy. And I am Briar Harvey, and I am the mother of an 18-year-old young lady. My God, that still is not coming out particularly <laughs> easily at all. And a nine-year-old and a three-year-old boy. Okay, so I guess in this time, there, there are so many things that end up being like pop culture zeitgeist just because we're all doing the same things we don't have a whole lot of like pop culture newness coming down so when newness comes down we all hop on it i shared a meme the other day on facebook (laughs) that was talking about that month in the 90s when we were all into gregorian chants yes i remember that okay so i guess this is totally off topic in that maybe it's like a movie and it's on disney plus but have you watched hamilton yet no, I've been oh, saving no. it. No, I've been saving it. So my period is going to start tomorrow. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yes, no. <laughs> See, so I save these sorts of things. Oh, no. If I'm going to be over-emotional and weepy <laughs> anyway, I may as well capitalize on that event. Like, okay, All so... Right. And I don't want people to, like... I haven't been putting it off or anything. Like, it's it's only been the long weekend. Yeah. We're about exactly a month behind at this point in time, yeah. So, So, (laughs) but I I bit, but yeah, I was like, I could watch it this weekend when I'm all grumpy about the United States of America, or I could save it for the emotional zeitgeist that I'm going to be dealing with next week when I'm on my period. That seems more appropriate. Okay. So, I I guess my best warning for you is when I saw it live, I was intimately familiar with the soundtrack. I knew probably 75% of the words on the soundtrack, right? I've already listened to the soundtrack multiple times. I still cried heavily, ugly tears, in the second act. When my husband and I sat down to watch it, on Friday, this past Friday when it released, mm-hmm. we actually had a conversation. Like, we know it's coming this time. We're not going to cry. Sobbed ugly tears. Then I watched it again the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I sobbed ugly tears again, like hiccuping, sobbing tears. So. Watching That's... it during your period may just be asking for it. Well, no, because I was going to be doing that anyway. So I may <laughs> as well make it mean something. Okay. Like, I'll caveat that by I know that that's not actually what happened in history, and I'm aware of all the problematic things around it, but I will still say that I think that it's done something amazing for theater. <laughs> So this movie that we're actually talking about, also on <laughs> Disney Plus, um, also a musical. Actually, I will tell you on my Disney Plus, they they appear in the same line, like 
musicals. Hamilton, The Nightmare Before Christmas. So, connected. Uh, sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. Totally. That's working out. This movie came out in 1993. It has a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects because this was before Best Animation was a category. Right, right. Um, the other nominee was Cliffhanger, and they lost to Jurassic Park, which, of course. I, I mean, mean, you can duh. sit down and watch Jurassic Park today, and it doesn't it's look... still amazing. Yeah. Still amazing. So, um, this movie is rated PG, and Disney gives the warning that it is for some scary images uh-huh. on Disney+, Plus, which I agree with. Uh-huh. Um, what is your experience with this movie prior to parenthood prior to because like how old were you when this came out i was i would have been 11 so 93 i would have been 13 mm-hmm. now i didn't see this movie in fact i did not see this movie until this week which seems like a really big gap for me yeah in trying to piece together why that might have been i came up with two possible explanations and either is likely One, it was during my stepmother's piety phase, and we didn't get to see it because... Right. It was evil. Right. But the equally valid explanation, because I hate to impugn my stepmom for no reason when there are plenty of valid things (laughs) to hit her for, the equally valid explanation is that I was a really fucking sensitive kid, and I was terrified of the movie Labyrinth. I think I've Mm -hmm. mentioned this before. And when I was 12, so this would have been the year before, I saw um, Child's Play Mm -hmm. at a slumber party. They literally had to spend money on therapy for me after that movie for several months. I I mean, I was in therapy at the time anyway, which should more or less tell you how my childhood went. But yeah, there was actual therapy around the movie Child's Play. So it's equally possible that I just was not allowed to see this movie because there was a sense that it would not go over well. Yeah. So I'm curious about this movie. Um, I know I didn't see it then. I probably saw it when I was, like, an older teen into, like, a young, like, college-aged adult. Uh-huh. Part of part of my memory of this movie was that it wasn't really popular right away, and it, then it became popular, like, when I was in, like, middle school, high school, uh-huh. in, like, the hot topic goth crowd. Right. Which um, I was not a member of. No. Either. And I was, like, I was, like, very punk rock in high school, in, like, early college, so I, like, had a natural aversion to anything that hot topic goths were interested in I was as you know as you do as you do right right and i was a theater nirvana kid so grunge was really this was not really in the grunge scene at all right so i think like i was just like i'm not uh, it's not my thing (laughs) no it was not my thing then and i'll be honest Tim Burton has never been my thing. Yeah. None of his movies really do it for me. None of Johnny's movies with Tim really do it for me. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, we will be 
touching on The Corpse Bride because I don't think we'll ever review that one independently. Like, that's not really a children's movie. Do you think so? Because my... Okay, so this is kind of funny to me because we were just, like, literally the episode that we'll be releasing before this was Onward, and I, I told you in that one how my son doesn't like it because he's afraid of the dragon at the end. He loves this movie. Loves this movie. We watch this movie all the time now. It's like his favorite movie. I don't understand why this movie doesn't freak him out, but that one did. <laughs> this movie is super creepy. It is. It is. It's creepy as fuck. And I, like, even watching it today, again, I was reminded of how glad I am I'm not in Tim Burton's head. Yeah. And that, like, it was, there were just really, like, notes that kind of crawled up my spine. Mm -hmm. Like, this is, what are you doing? Why are you voluntarily watching this? And I had to pause it several times and go away and Facebook, you know, happy Facebook thoughts for a minute (laughs) because. And this movie is so Tim Burton. Oh, yeah. Like, for a movie he didn't direct, it's so Tim Burton. He is just the producer and, like, the writer. Uh Uh-huh. Um, but, like, between the stripes and the snakes, like, those snakes are such a Tim Burton snake, right? Oh, yeah. The way that they coil and They're, like, the same kind of thing as what's in Beetlejuice. Uh Um, and then even, like, a lot of the characters... Our character, like the design, seems to come up in other stuff he does. Mm-hmm. Like um, the shrunken head almost looks exactly like the shrunken head from Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Um, all the design just seems so familiar and so Tim Burton. Well, and Sally, I mean, I feel like Sally is a prototype corpse bride. Mm-hmm. No, I mean she's literally yeah. a reanimated, sewn together, repurposed thing. She's the first iteration of the corpse bride, which, so, by the way, is a real fairy tale. In hindsight, I, I, I wish we'd kind of watched both back to back because they. I feel like there are a ton of similarities. In I've not actually seen that one either, so I can only speak to the fact that I read the Wikipedia description this afternoon as I was doing show notes because I was like, I feel like there's some relevance yeah. here. So... Um, so yeah. along with, like, I, I, you know, I wish I had done a little bit more research to know why it seemed to have had that resurgence later on. Like, I would say it was definitely, like, pre-2000, but, like, late 90s when it I'd really I'd be willing to... to bet money on, like... ICP or mm, some kind of fringe that. element. No, There's, I, not no. ICP. <laughs> um, either way, this movie has um, a whole level of fandom within the Disney parks. And we kind of touched on that when we were talking about the Disney parks and, like, the special events and how Mm -hmm. at the Halloween event everybody Mm -hmm. leads some, like, god-awful lines to meet Jack Skellington. Um, One of the things that Disney does that's, like, huge is every year in September, Disney does an overlay of the Haunted Mansion ride 
at Disneyland, which is California, uh-huh. and Tokyo Disneyland. They don't do it at Disney World in Florida. Um, and so basically what they do is they add a bunch of elements from The Nightmare Before Christmas to the ride. And then that's up from September to January. Because, you know, you get two seasons out of this movie, Well, right. right. It's a Christmas movie and a Halloween movie, yeah. right? And so, like, some of the cool details that they do with it is there's, um, every year they do a giant gingerbread house um, themed to The Nightmare Before Christmas. And I think it, I think it's displayed in the ballroom scene of the Haunted Mansion. I've never seen it because I've never been to Disneyland in the fall. Uh-huh. I only went once in the summer or spring. Uh, oh, no, you're more of a Disney World girl. Well, because I'm closer. Right. Um, but it's just like, and then there's a ton of merchandise that they do surrounding that. And I would say there's also, like, a ton of, like, merchandise in general for this movie at Disney. Like, it's one of their big IPs, like, uh-huh. for Disney. And... It's really interesting because it's so different from everything else that Disney really, really pushes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about that, too. Like, there's so many movies that Disney just doesn't market. But this one gets, like, tons of merchandising. Um, Which says that still today, it's a popular Yeah. It's movie, a very popular and they've movie. they've got a, mm-hmm. gr- a huge subculture around it. We've never really talked about how subcultures exist and are developed, although I know that we're both kind of students of them. So, mm-hmm. but this one certainly has a fandom. And Absolutely. It's all the, all the mall goths. I, right? <laughs> I, I, I got nothing um, for you other than... And what I'll say is that I think Tim has a fandom all of his own, too. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, there are... <clears throat> People who go nuts over... It's like that that aesthetic, like the Tim Burton, uh, Neil Gaiman, like mm-hmm. that that kind of overlap. And I don't know what to call it. Um, I don't know what to call it either. It's not my vibe. It's like, never been my vibe, so I can't say... It's like pop culture gothic. Kind of. Like not gothic like goths. Although some of them are fans of that, but like, it's not like hardcore gothic. Like it's not. Um, no, but there's like, horror elements to it. Like yeah. I'd say, American Horror Story falls right in line. Sure. Yeah, I would put that there. Mm-hmm. Huh. It needs a name. It does. If nobody need has a named name. it already. If or if you know. Yeah, if right. If you know what it's called, let us know. Please email us and let us know. Because I feel bad not knowing what this segment of, I mean, and I it's been touched on. What the hell was the name of that show with Kevin Bacon, The Following? I feel like that would probably Oh, you think? I don't know. I only watched, like, the first couple of episodes. Oh, no. That, that very much hit, like, the yeah. whole... Yeah. And, and there is a weird subculture there. People who like the horror and death and... But not, like, the hardcore porn, side of it. Not, like, this right. is all, like, the very, like... The, fluffy bunny side of it right right because i would say even like i've like even neil gaiman kind of veers more towards like the the pg side of that Mm -hmm. you know 
I mean, I, 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 like, in his books and stuff, there are Uh some other things for Neil Gaiman, but, like, I would say the things of his that have made it to mainstream, with the exception of, like, American Gods, have been more of the PG side of things. But I would say Good Omens is on the, uh... Spec side again, mm-hmm. right? Whereas American Gods would be on like the I don't know. I've not seen the show. I've only read the book, and I read it years and years ago, and it was not one of my favorite American or Neil Gaiman books. So I don't have a huge memory of it. But um, it's a little bit more on the adult side. And then there's like all the stuff he did with like Sandman and blah 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 blah. Which feels more like Clive Barker to me than. Um. So yeah. Would you call this a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? Or is it both? Well, Disney says it's both. Disney says it's both. One of the best, one of the best pieces of merchandise that Disney has for this movie is the, um, the wreath from the end that attacks the old lady. Yes. I want one so bad. (laughs) They're expensive, though. Every year I'm like, do I buy it? I want that to be my door wreath. It's a pretty wreath, too. Like, the wreath (laughs) itself is like, oh, that was a pretty wreath. And then, so is what? Is it an animatronic snake or something? Uh, No, it's the face. It's a face. It's got the teeth, and it's awesome. Um, I am a big fan of the Haunted Mansion. Um, at one point, pre-kids, my like front sitting room that we weren't really using for anything was vaguely Haunted Mansion themed. Um, like I have, I have a set of prints uh, above my fireplace that mm-hmm. are uh, like. So this isn't going to mean anything to you because you. Don't. <laughs> One of the most famous scenes in the Haunted Mansion is this, um, it's like a magic, a magician's trick. It's called Pepper's Ghost. And it's like a, a visual effect that was very like advanced for the time that the Haunted Mansion came about. And it's like, it ends up looking like a hologram. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, you're going through this ballroom scene and there's people dancing and stuff. But then there's also like a set of portraits up on the wall and the portraits like come alive and it's two guys in a duel. And so they like turn and they like duel. I have not the exact images from the Haunted Mansion. It's like an artist's like representation of Uh them. I have them above my fireplace. Like color scheme wise, it was like in line with things. Like my grand idea was to have like a Haunted Mansion sitting room and dining room. Yeah. I love it. But then I had a kid and and then quarantine happened and now there's like nothing remaining of that room in that room <laughs> except for my duelers above the di- above the um fireplace. But anyway, <laughs> so I feel like that wreath would have fit nicely in because that's the overlay mm-hmm. that they do. So that was a sidetrack for you, but there you go. Yeah, I think it's I think it's both. I think it's Christmas and Halloween and Halloween mostly, but yeah. <laughs> you can get away with it. Yeah, I think you can get away with it at both holidays. I mean, if like the I mean, <clears throat> my general like I'm willing to accept any movie that takes place on Christmas as a Christmas movie 
like the Die Hard rule. Oh, oh, Die Hard is yeah. a Christmas movie. Right. So. so then, by that rule, this, this is, is also, also a Christmas, a Christmas movie. <laughs> and I think you have to call it the Die Hard rule too, because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, by Die Hard rules, this is a Christmas movie. All right, so let's go through the cast. There is fortunately nothing bad to as do as here know. as far as we know. Well, there is Paul Rubens. So I actually want to talk about that. Okay. Because, but we're not to him yet. Yeah, when so, we get to him. let's start with Jack. So Chris Sarandon is mm-hmm. his speaking voice, and you may know him as or you should fucking know him as <laughs> the the king from the princess bride right the, what's his name okay i had it and now oh prince humperdinck yeah i was gonna say the king is inaccurate it's oh, prince right. well no he does become the king doesn't he well only in his imagination because the pr- king is not actually dead right but he's close right okay and then so, Danny Elfman is the singing voice. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Elfman from Oingo Boingo. <laughs> I love that that's the reference. Although mine's not much better. Danny Elfman, Jenna Elfman's uncle. <laughs> yeah, okay. So is he a Scientologist too? I would assume so. I think I she was like a fami- I think she was a raised in Scientology. I, I'm fairly certain she was. So, so my guess is that he is too. So I guess there's that tie-in. But okay. yeah, I would assume. But I didn't look into it, and I apologize, Danny Elfman, if you're not actually a Scientologist. We we, we apologize for applying crazy to you that's not actually exist. But if you are, <laughs> well, then I guess we were right about you. <laughs> So, I think the most famous Oingo Boingo song is what? I'm appalled that you're making me look up Oingo Boingo. You don't know who Oingo Boingo is? Oh, no, I do know. (laughs) I'm appalled that you didn't put this in the show notes first so that I could go, what's the most famous Oingo Boingo song? (laughs) I would th- probably think it's weird Dead science. Man's Party. Oh, no, see, I no, science. I think it's Dead Man's Party, <laughs> which I think is probably somewhat relevant. At least yeah, my yeah. choice is right. to the movie that we're doing. <laughs> now, right. I googled just to see. So when we do the search, Google says. Dead Man's Party is the first and second most popular choice, and then Weird Science oh, is the third. I'm in. I'm like a little. I wouldn't have guessed that. So I no, I would not have either. But he is. So there you go. He's the guy singing Dead Man's Party and also singing all of these songs about Halloween. So I think it's kind of interesting. That they didn't just have Danny Elfman do the non-singing parts, too, because Jack doesn't have a whole lot of unsung speaking lines. No, he really doesn't. And I think I went again. You did, but you're back. Okay, well, that's good. And I'm still in the room, so that's helpful. You're in the room where it happens. (laughs) But I... 
And I'd also say I don't really think Chris Sarandon his he, he does a good job as a voice actor. It doesn't and we've talked match about the, the singing though. But it doesn't match the singing voice, so I'm not. It's I don't weird. Know. It's weird to me. I, I I can't explain that choice. Me but, either. No. But because speak- then he goes on to voice uh, Barrel. Uh-huh. One of the trick-or-treaters. And the clown with the tearaway face. Uh-huh. So it's not like he was opposed to, like, speaking and not uh-uh. singing. It's strange to me. It's... I, I don't know. I, I, I cannot answer these guy-in-the-hall-casting-type questions in yeah, but... any way. <laughs> so Danny Elfin has, like, a, a pretty long now... Um, Oh, yeah. Relationship with uh, Tim Burton. He is also done... He's done 16 scores for Tim Burton, mm-hmm. including Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Alice in Wonderland, and Dumbo. So I think maybe we should look at the ones that he's done that aren't Tim Burton. Well, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, well... So we'll... <laughs> We'll toss that one out as an anomaly. <laughs> he also did um, all of the music for Men in Black. And he did um, Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, um, Raimi's Spider-Man. So that would be Toby the Maguire. Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Um, and then, let's see. He's won so many awards, except for Oscars. He's apparently only been nominated for four. Really? Mm -hmm. That's surprising, because he's really prolific. He really is, but he has not... He's been nominated 75 times. He's won 35, but none of those were Oscars. But we, like... I'm not even going to be surprised by that, right? (laughs) Because they just seem like... They like to snub everybody. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, that is Jack. We have actually talked... Well, kind of. We did Catherine O'Hara a little bit when we covered her for uh, Home, Alone. Home Alone. Yeah. And I re-listened to us talk about her there, but mostly we were talking about her playing the straight character when she is Mm -hmm. so... Here, we have to talk about her vocal talent, because, man, unless you're listening close... You would have no idea You would have no idea. None. Not as as the speaking character, Mm -hmm. not in her singing voice. Mm -hmm. Sally is a unique vocal styling that she's never done anywhere else. And she has a pretty prolific voice listing, too. I mean, she's just... She's really... She's one of my favorites, I think. She's just very good at what she does. I like how she came up. She was up through Second City in Toronto. And then she did SCD... Oh, God. SCTV. I have the words. Um, And then... She's done... 
Over the Hedge, she played the teenager, um, William Shatner's daughter. That's who she played in that one. Um, Monster House, Brother Bear. Um, she was apparently in Barbie, the 12 Dancing Princesses. Like... Frankenweenie, a monster in Paris, and I would not even know, really. I, although most of these are terrible movies, but <laughs> you don't she, know it's her. It but you don't know that yeah. it's her. So I, I find that to be pretty remarkable for someone who does so much on-screen acting. Mm -hmm. She's got a real talent, real talent. Um, and she also voices Shock, the little girl trick-or-treater. Um, let's see. Who else is worth... We have William Hickey as the doctor. Um, is there anything... Apparently, Christmas Vacation... National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's his Christmas tie-in. <laughs> um, but I'm not. Yeah, I would mention uh, Glenn Shaddix as the um, mayor, just because mm -hmm. I was convinced that that must be Jeffrey Tambor, and it's not. Uh, but okay. the voice sounded so familiar. But he uh, is also in Beetlejuice. He plays uh -huh. Otho. Um, he's like the art friend. The, the, the weird, creepy art friend? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we have Ken Page as Oogie Boogie. I don't know that we've actually specifically highlighted him before, although we have seen him before. We did talk is... about him being Oogie Boogie. Oh, that's right. I think we did then. King Gator in All Dogs Go to Heaven. So, brought that full circle. Um, and then we have Ed Ivory as Santa Claus and also the narrator. And I mentioned that. Oh, he is the narrator. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because in the soundtrack, which is available on Spotify because we listened to, to it right before the call, there is a prologue and epilogue that are narrated by Patrick Stewart who, if you haven't been listening to his Sonnet A Day series on Facebook, it's really quite delightful. He started this when quarantine started, and I've just, every day I'm like, is there a new Sonnet? Is there a new Sonnet? <laughs> I'm such a nerd. <laughs> Holy shit. But uh, they're actually, I don't know, really good, and I feel like maybe relevant to the story and I think maybe, I don't know. There I don't know why they got taken I, out. I don't know why. And I have no actual explanation for you other than they were taken out and then featured on the soundtrack. I wonder if it was like a casting thing uh, and they wanted him that, as Santa Claus. I don't know. My only guess is that it didn't fit the tone that Burton wanted for the movie because it is more like friendly, lighthearted mm -hmm. than I think the, t the movie actually is. Ends up being, yeah, yeah. I, I think that could be right. That would be my guess. 
So then we get to Paul Rubens, who is Locke, the other trick-or-treater who we have not already named. And I do feel like he's an interesting conversation to well, have these days. Well, you have to days. say who he is. Okay, so if you're not familiar with Paul Rubens, you would know him most likely as Pee-wee. Yes. Pee-wee Herman. Pee-wee Herman. He was pretty publicly castigated in the early 90s for masturbating in a gay theater in San Francisco. It says Sarasota, Florida. Okay. Thank you. Apparently, (laughs) I had the location wrong. Sarasota, Florida. So he got busted in a gay theater for jerking off. In July 1991. And I feel like this, and I see where you're going with this, because I feel like this is one of those things that wouldn't happen now. Mm Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm saying. That if that were, that event were to happen now, he'd have been the butt of a couple of late night comics for a couple of weeks. But this was so big when it happened. Oh my God. Do you remember? It was huge. I remember. In 1991, I was 10. Right. I was. (laughs) Nine. And I remember Right. And I remember what a big deal it was. It was such a big deal. And it was how disgusting and Mm -hmm. reprehensible he was for masturbating in public. And yeah, I really do feel like that's a conversation worth having now. Because I don't think that if it happened now, we'd have that same reaction to it. And I wonder what Paul's career would have been like. Yeah. Because I think that if that had happened now, he would have been able to survive that. I, I mean, think so fuck. Too. We have Louis C.K. coming back to do stand-up sets after jerking off in front of real women right. who weren't consenting to it. And I think, too, we have to... Um also maybe taken the nature of what it meant to be gay at the time then versus now too well Um, it was 1991 which is in fact the same year that ellen came out mm -hmm. so i feel like that really shapes the conversation Mm -hmm. here because ellen well i think we're back to canceling her again because she's a bitch but But in 1991 we canceled her for being gay yep and it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. It was a very big deal. And right. for someone who in 1991 understood that I liked girls, all of this was very formative mm-hmm. for me in the sure. way that we looked and talked about. Like, for me, I still can't really get behind or embrace the word queer. Because while I understand the attempt to reclaim it, it was hurled at me in too many very painful sure. circumstances for me to be able to accept it. Okay. So, yeah. It was a I, different time. It was a different time. And I am now, in on reflection, I do. I feel bad for Paul because mm-hmm. I think that it would have been a much different story today. Right. I agree. I so. so um. But that's it. That's all we have. That's what we have. For and cast. thank you for listening to today. No. <laughs> <laughs>
I guess we should talk about the movie. Too. Yeah, let's do the movie now. Okay. <laughs> so I love how this movie opens. Um, it reminds me a lot of Rankin Bass, and Rankin Bass are like the the crispest stop motion movies that you know Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, mm-hmm. Frosty the Snowman. That's Rankin Bass, and I like that the opening of this kind of is evocative of that. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been more so with the Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. narrative um, narration, rather, um, and I and that's why. Well, I think it may have been dropped because of the tone, I think it really would have worked nicely here. It would have. It would have been very cool, and I'm sorry that they dropped it. And I'm also sorry that they dropped the epilogue, too, because it mm-hmm. talks about the little baby jacks running around mm-hmm. playing their xylophones. Like, that's such a great mental yeah. image to me. And I'm sorry that it's not included. But we do get the introduction via With Sandy. With all the trees. Mm-hmm. And I like, um, I like to think about what Thanksgiving Town would be like. <laughs> 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 or St. Patrick's Day Town. Because there was a there's poorly a Patrick's Day, there's too. a Thanksgiving, there's an Easter... We obviously, and Christmas. right, and we kidnapped I the Easter Bunny. I think maybe Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, think, I think that's it. But, like, Thanksgiving seems like an odd one to cl- include. Because it's well, not an international holiday. No, it's not an international <laughs> holiday. But it was the 90s, and we didn't care about I such guess, things at all. But yeah. if you're going to have Thanksgiving, why not have the 4th of July then, too? Well, I find that to be a fair question, yes. <laughs> maybe maybe it was a full circle. I'm sure it was a full circle trees. and there's some missing trees. One of them probably is the loud, fiery explosion ones that And yeah, on we're not Labor talk Day about that. and it's just like a big picture of white pants with a, a cross through. <laughs> Head cannon accepted. <laughs> Holy shit, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no white pants after Labor Day. Oh, can't tell when we grew up or anything. Okay, so they are. So we go in to them coming off of Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. We've celebrated Halloween. It's been the big day. Everyone was victorious, and we're celebrating, except for Jack. Who is bored as fuck, I He's think. sick of it, yeah. With Halloween and the whole thing. He's all of us right now. <laughs> On this day. Yeah. He is the dog <laughs> in the fire going, this is, this okay. is fine. <laughs> this is fine. Yeah. So he walks off and sings his sad song. I must admit... So the posters at the time had Jack on like the spiral, right? Mm-hmm. That was the iconic thing. And I did enjoy watching the spiral stretch out and become oh, like so the path. If you haven't yet, you have to watch the episode of I think it's called like Prop Masters or something like that on Disney Plus. There's an episode about the Nightmare Before Christmas. 
And it's basically this guy who, like, deals in movie props, and he, like, hunts down different movie props. And so on one episode, it's strictly Nightmare Before Christmas. And they talk about how there were multiple versions of that mountain, Mm -hmm. and there is specifically a version that can articulate for that scene. Because, like, you can't... It's stop motion. Right. So you have to be able to, like let it go out. It's really interesting. You should look into it. I I will, because I actually, I found the visual imagery Mm -hmm. of that spiral straightening out incredibly fascinating. And you can tell how much effort went into that sequence. So, like, they go into, like, there are, um, and things you don't even think about, like, the hill has, um, footholds in it Mm -hmm. for the, um, the armature armature Uh, i'm gonna accept that characters to go up but because Mm -hmm. because it's stop motion you have to be able to plant them there Mm -hmm. for a frame Mm -hmm. it's really interesting i if anybody who has any interest in this movie should totally watch it at the end too because when they're walking up they're walking through snow snow yeah so they have to be able to plant them and take the frames Mm -hmm. and then move them again without disturbing the snow effect like it's really so much of the great yeah, so much of the animation of the 90s is, I think, lost on the younger crowd because mm-hmm. technology does all of this now, but that was not the case with this yeah. film. So It's interesting, too, on that show, they talk about how the Jack Skellington in the Sandy Claus costume, um, those particular props don't age well because, like, the costume melts. <laughs> really? Yeah, and then, like, uh, Sally, um, her hair apparently, like, deteriorates just because of the way it is, like, one piece. Mm-hmm. So then when you're watching the movie, that's, like, all you can think about. <laughs> melting Santa Claus costumes and Melting hair. Sandy Claus and yeah. melting hair and, I mean, and stop motion. We talked about it a little bit. Kind of. When we talked about Wallace and Gromit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we talked about everything but the movie when we did that movie. But, yeah, there are there are a lot of effects that really go into stop mm-hmm. motion that are just technically impressive. So, we have him walking down and singing his song, and then he finds himself in the Christmas room. Mm-hmm. And then there's another song. This, I really, I have not tried to show this one to my three-year-old, who I suspect, now that I'm thinking about it, might actually like this movie a lot. Because his big thing right now with musicals is that there's lots of music. Like, and there's a lot of music in There's this. a lot of music mm-hmm. in the, There's more music than, I'd say, spoken dialogue. It's definitely more of a musical in line with, like, a stage play musical mm-hmm. than like a Disney musical. So my notes here are Jack focused. When do we meet Sally? Oh, I think she's 
being introduced when they're doing the um, return from Halloween and like, right because I think she's in the process of poisoning the doctor at that point because that's when she loses her arm right and then right. he gives it back to her right I think I, I I think that you are correct so let me pull up my corpse bride story here. So this one's pretty fucking grisly as apparently all Tim Burton's shit in his head is. So the corpse bride is based on a Russian fairy tale from 19th century, um, specifically Russian Jews who would apparently be mugged and attacked when they were going to wedding celebrations. So basically, whatever the Russian version of the Nazi KKK is here, I mean, it's 1700s, 1800s, and we're all a bunch of barbarians and Russian barbarians, I guess, and to get rid of the Jews in that very anti-Semitic way that we had, we would attack their wedding train and specifically kill the bride because the bride was going to be responsible for birthing the next generation mm -hmm. of Russian Jews. So they would kill her and then they would bury her alive sometimes i mean in her wedding dress that that was the key here where the fairy tale originated from in my research it seemed like this happened enough for there to be a fairy tale of it in the first mm -hmm. place which means it happened a lot so the legend of the corpse bride is that the young jewish lad was going and they were was with some friends and they were walking through the forest and he was off to see his prospective bride and he had his engagement ring with him and he stuck it on a finger i guess tree root this is very much what they started with in the corpse bride and he sang the song and then the corpse bride was reanimated okay so that is where we get to that particular Tim Burton film, which then diverges off into the underworld and blah, blah, blah there. But I think that this story has been around for Tim for a while mm -hmm. because the concept of, I mean, we've got a bride in Beetlejuice and we have uh, Sally stitched back together is kind of the reconstructed bride for the doctor. Yeah. Well, In he says, I mean, this story has been, it started as a three-page poem that Burton wrote after he finished a short film in 1982. Mm -hmm. 
So it had been around for like 10 years before this movie even started. And it seems like in the development process, they went back and forth on whether it would be like a 30-minute holly- holiday television special. So like right on with uh-huh. the Rankin Bass, like uh-huh. in that vein. Well, and it's not long. I mean, it's... It's uh, not even an hour and a half. Uh-uh. And when you remove the credits, mm-hmm. I think it topped out at like an hour and seven or eight minutes. Yeah, it's a quick one. It is a very quick story. And yet, he manages to touch on a lot of themes that I don't find at all appropriate for a children's movie. Like the whole situation with Sally and the doctor is, is so really disturbing, right? I yeah. can't be the only one watching that going, holy shit, the doctor has built himself his ideal bride here. And then he keeps her locked up in a tower. Yeah. And then, and then in the end, he replaces her with a better model. With, right. That <laughs> looks like himself. It looks like him, yeah. I mean, I, I like how, or hate how, I can't articulate it precisely, how Tim Burton keeps coming back. And he does in all of his movies. There are weird things oh, yeah. that he hits on in these ways. And I, I mean, can, this is like almost like that whole story is Edward Scissorhands. Right. <laughs> right. And I can never tell if he does it deliberately because he's trying to provoke a conversation, which is how I feel about comedy and the ways in which comics try and provoke laughter in order to encourage the conversation, right? I can't ever tell if Tim is doing that deliberately or if he's just sick and twisted and we're just getting what's inside his head. When is the last time Tim Burton did something that was his original idea? Because everything recently has just been, like, remakes. That's a good question. And I feel like what's coming out... (laughs) So on Wikipedia, there is an actual page called Tim Burton's Unrealized Projects. Okay. I do not think that there are many directors who actually have that page. But he does seem to... So... He did Dumbo. I don't. You watched that one, right? Yeah. I, I I skipped it entirely. But like everything he's done since this, Sweeney Todd maybe has done somebody else. No, Sweeney Todd is. Oh no, a, that's a Sondheim. That was a Broadway right. play. Um, Corpse Bride, maybe because it comes from like folklore. You can right. maybe say that that was like. But again, I feel like this story has been in his head for yeah. a while because this feels like the precursor. But Big Fish to is it. based on a book. Mm-hmm. Planet of the Apes is Planet of the Apes. Sleepy Hollow is Sleepy Hollow. Mrs. Mars Peregrine Attacks, House for maybe that was his. But no, good, it was based on a trading card series by Jonathan Jem. So, okay. it's been so, a while since he's done any original. Was Pee-wee's really his? I feel like Pee-wee's no, maybe... No, because the TV show existed before Existed before him. Pee-wee's was Paul's. So, Beetlejuice. 
Beetlejuice was his. Beetlejuice. Edward, Edward Scissorhands. This. <clears throat> Corpse Bride. All of a theme here. Yeah. So, yeah, it's difficult to say then if the thematic elements that appear in his films are placed there deliberately, which, I mean, he is not to my taste, but relatively is a pretty strong filmmaker. Yeah. So I feel like it's worth giving him enough credit to say that he's probably talking about these things deliberately. Like, I had pretty high hopes for him for Jumbo because Big Fish was so good, and they both kind of have, like, the circus theme going for them. Uh -huh. So I thought that he would do a good job with Dumbo, but... Mm. But I don't know if that was really so much Tim Burton or Disney's just not very... I'm not enjoying any of the Disney live-action remakes. Well, they've all been shitty. I mean, let's be really upfront about it. Not a single one of them has actually been particularly good good. Yeah. And I think Dumbo runs into some real story issues because that movie is racist as fuck. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't have any of like the crows or anything like that. So, which I, I probably takes away, I, I, I hate to say takes away because again, they were the racist as fuck elements of that movie. But the crows and the songs, all of that was pivotal mm -hmm. to the mo to the animated film. So not having it in the live action, live action with bunny rabbit ears, is equally mm, probably not worth it then. Right. So I don't know. We'll we'll call it sort of deliberate. How about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after we meet Sally and we have the trip to Christmas Town, Jack comes back and he decides to. I mean, this none of this is actually story wise really fleshed out very well. No. They're he decides going... to make Christmas. Right, he decides to make Christmas. He decides that Halloween Town will be in charge of Christmas. Right, and I don't think, there doesn't seem to be, it's not malicious or mm -hmm. malevolent in that way. It's that I want this, and so I'm going to take it. And then the nature of Halloween Town is that the people are malicious and malevolent <laughs> because that's Halloween Town. Right. So why he chooses to pick, like, his main, an his main like, antagonist, henchman to go steal Santa Claus, I'll never know. Because, like, obviously, Oogie Boogie and Jack don't get along, right? Right. And he, and the children even observed to him, we thought you hated us, or right. something along those lines. Right. So, Why not send, like, the Wolfman to get him? Right? <laughs> he seems like a more reasonable character. Surely there is someone we have a little bit more trust in. Perhaps the vampire, I don't know. Like, <laughs> There's, there, there's some levels here. We could have <laughs> assigned the job to somebody else. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Because the kids aren't right. And they didn't even get the right person to start with. I love mm -hmm. the Easter Bunny. That the Easter Bunny. <laughs> so what do you think the relationship...
relationship between Jack and Oogie Boogie is? Is like, who is Oogie Boogie here? So I think that's a really interesting question. I read an article um, this week. I'll see if I can find it and link it in the show notes. That was talking about why the devil is frequently portrayed as black. Okay. And as a pagan of long standing, this is something, you know, the devil is a fascinating creature to me. And when we talk about the devil, you know, the devil has a pitchfork because Poseidon had a trident. And the devil has cloven feet because Pan, the god, had cloven feet. So the devil is black because when we started Christianizing Africa, we wanted to downplay the relationship the native people had with their gods. Um, I believe it's Eshu. I'm probably mispronouncing that. But so we made the devil black because our god of the region was black. And I feel like Oogie Boogie probably in some way comes from some traditional culture in that way. So why... Why do you say Oogie Boogie is black? Because the guy who voices Oogie Boogie is black? Partially, yes. But also because Tim Burton and Disney often come back to this black and white sort of thing. And if we look at Jack Skellington... With the white moon skull face. That's terrifying. Right? <laughs> then his opposite, I, I mean, admittedly, Oogie Boogie is a sack of beetles. Bugs. <laughs> and like a the, literal sack. Like he's made uh, The literal sack, cloth. sack cloth. Like, and you can <laughs> tell because the detail of it is really remarkable. Like, you can see the weave as they moved him and articulated him in the scenes. He's really well created. But yeah, I do, because we often come back to this white versus black theme. And I feel like even if the actor wasn't black, we're looking at that kind of underworld tradition that we have. I mean, look at the princess and the pea right? Mm-hmm. Or Princess and the Frog. We, we've we demonized native religious culture and traditions as being of the devil. And that is where I think that Oogie Boogie is. He's some kind... I mean, we had an actual devil, too. I saw him. I can't remember specifically where I saw the actual One devil. One of the Lock, Stock, and Barrel. Thank you has a devil mask. I don't know which is which, so... I, I don't know which is which either, but... Um, and I feel like a one of the um, neighboring villager bystanders was an actual devil at some point mm-hmm. in time, too. But yeah, I feel like we come back to these themes 
themes a lot. And the, so if you look at Oogie Boogie as a character, then he's got the dice. He's got all of the little hallmarks of that sort of tradition. Mm -hmm. So it's in, in voodoo, those are because they made magic with what they had available, which was common so implements. Do you think Oogie Boogie is, is, uh, evoking like voodoo like that maybe like, the voodoo or there? some caribbean okay. kind of god yes mm -hmm. that is what i think okay and that is why i think that he is probably black with bunny rabbit ears and the nemesis because the more we come back to these films the more that plays out it's, it's impossible more not about to see the history of oogie boogie and jack skellington is like oogie boogie like does he want to take over Halloween Town? Like, what's his motivation? You know, the the show notes, which, as I've mentioned, come from Wikipedia because I'm lazy as fuck. But they do seem to be very. Um, they talk about the relationship that. Um, Oogie tries to kill Jack and tries to take over the plan. And I don't really feel like there was that level of planning for it, right? This seems like more of a... He got lucky to yeah. have Sandy Claus yeah. because the kids brought him Sandy Claus. Like, it, while I suspect some long-standing, maybe sibling rivalry? I don't know how else to describe it, but... But, I mean, if you're all characters like in Halloween... Right. He's scarred to Jack's Mufasa. Right. I think that's not a terrible okay. analogy, honestly, because Jack is not the mayor and yet very clearly is King Halloween. Right. right? The mayor skeleton. is... Skeleton. Right. Yeah, skeleton. <laughs> But the mayor mentions at one point in time that he's a public, a servant of the public, which means he's been elected right. or like, so Jack is king of long standing, but has abdicate, abdicated his political authority. Just like, just like England. <laughs> so yeah, again... It's tough to know with Burton whether these themes appear deliberately and he does a really good job of weaving them in into an hour and 10 minutes or if we're just reading way too much into this, who knows. Um, I love the people, the citizens of Halloween Town trying to make Christmas stuff. I know. I love, like, I, we've talked about I love about, I how love the bad re they're at it. They yeah. are at it. Yeah. It's but just... their hearts are in the right place. They're only used to Halloween stuff. <laughs> and, like, um, when they're showing, when he's showing them the stocking and they're like, is there a foot in it? A severed that's, foot? That's valid. I mean, that's all you know, right? <laughs> and then the flying reindeer. It's so cool. I like all that. I'd like, I just... Yeah, I mean, they're really... They're, they're, we could talk about this for another hour, I think. The weird I really little like subtle, to... subtle themes. 
I like, too, that, like, the only person who actually gets it right is Sally. Like, uh-huh. Jack's, Jack's Sandy Claus costume is a Santa right. Claus outfit, right? Mm-hmm. Minus the hat. But he didn't no, he tell her the about hat. the hat. He stole the hat. Oh, so. right. He stole the hat. Okay. He stole the hat from the actual Santa. But, yeah, I like that she's the only one that gets it right. She seems to be smarter than yeah. the, the av- average Halloween, Halloween dwe- dweller. And I wonder if that's because she's been put together from other people or or maybe yeah. the magic of her. Where did the brain come from? Because like, well, it didn't come from the doctor, right? Right. When he, he made his other half, he exactly. literally split his brain in half. Exactly. So fucking weird. <laughs> so <Man>. weird. <laughs> Oh, my God. And then we have at the ending, the, it's a pretty good fight scene, all things considered, right? Like, With you Jack have and Oogie, Jack and Oogie yeah. going at it. And it's like a, a set piece, that uh-huh. whole, like, for the amount of time that that's in the movie, the uh-huh. amount of work that they must have put into that for stop motion in particular, because like, I feel like every other fantastic. big set from this movie is used multiple times like you see christmas town more than once mm-hmm. you see like outside of the doctor's lair and outside of jack like halloween town you see but like oogie boogie this this is the only time you get that piece no and it's just incredibly vivid and dramatic yeah. and just really well drawn well not drawn but articulated Created. in the way right <laughs> so um, and then you, of course, have the kiss at the end, right? Because we can't seem to... Fucking Burton's always got to get the girl. <laughs> There's the, We couldn't just leave it as a happy, lovely friendship with holding hands and... No. And it's nice, though, because he says that. Doesn't he tell her she's his best friend or something? Uh, he like does. That? Something along those lines as... He walks up the hill. And what about Zero, though? I mean, I, I feel like maybe Jack Zero is your best friend. Right. <laughs> your magical dog reindeer. I love We Zero. have not talked about Zero at all, and he's such a great character. And he is the only character from this movie I will stand. Right? And what I really love, and I can't, I'm not sure how they did it, But he's transparent. Like, that, for stop motion, at this time, I do not know how they actually could have made him. The But he's remarkable. Like, I really... I didn't even think about it, but you're right. That's a good point. He's transparent. You see through him. It's and yet you can see him very clearly. They must have used some kind of clear resin or something, but I can't imagine what they would have used that would have then allowed them to move him mm-hmm. in the way and, and because he floats too as a ghost. He's just so well done, so well. Yeah, done. I'm, I would like more information on zero. <laughs> so this is a zero. On the blubberability scale, which was a nice change for me after Onward last week. Um, 
and we've talked a little bit about the age. It's not appropriate for any age and apparently appropriate for every age. Like... I don't know. Like, if I had it to do over again, I don't know if I would have shown this to my kid. <laughs> Five. <laughs> I... I watched this one in my bedroom today because I wasn't sure because yeah. I was like, it's Burton. I, I went into it with the knowledge that even though I had never seen it before, it was Burton and I wasn't sure that I wanted to expose it to the three-year-old without a pre-screening. Mm -hmm. Now that I have watched it, I'm like, it, it's fine because even though I think that it's scary, mm -hmm. it's not... It is conceptually scary rather than visually scary. I and I so, think yeah. that may so, be So, like, the a lot difference. of it is they're just not... It's not hitting them at the level that it's hitting us. Right, because Whereas I I'm know Whereas I'm seeing a lot better. of this, and it's, like, making me think of, like, horror movies and stuff. Right. They don't have that. No, they have no reference. Yeah. And a, maybe he really is a genius because maybe that is deliberate. Like, I feel like it might, I feel like our generation got exposed to a lot of these sorts of themes and elements. And now as adults, we're all very into Halloween. Yeah. We're all very much about that element of culture. Right. And I feel like at least some of this has to be responsible for that. I'm sure it is. I'm sure because that must have been such like a major like 1993, right? So that mm -hmm. was influential. Mm -hmm. Even if it was in my head something a whole month got, like... where we did Gregorian yeah. chants because <laughs> Of one Enigma song. Yeah. Like, yes. it was a different time. And it culturally, it really, it penetrated how we thought and interacted. Because mm -hmm. the internet didn't exist yet. So when we caught on to something, it really permeated our culture. And it stayed there. And I mm -hmm. think that's the difference. Like, recently... Fuck, I, I hate that I am comparing it to this, but our only recent cultural phenomenon that is anywhere even close is fucking Tiger, Tiger King. King. Yeah, that's the only <laughs> thing I can think of, too. <laughs> I'm pleased that we both go yeah. there because that says that we're right about it. But what does that say when Tiger King is the cultural epoch yeah. of 2020? Oh, fuck, we need to go back and do the this year all over again. If only. So, um, Halloween costumes, of there are many of this movie, and feel free to wear them all, because it's fine. They are perfectly Halloween appropriate. It's one movie where we can say, yeah. wear the costume. <laughs> all right, final score out of five. I'm going to give it a three. Okay. I don't really have, like, a good reason for that. It's just what I'm feeling. No, I, I, I'm i going to go ahead and give it a three and a half because I'm a softie. And I do feel like we've talked about a lot of things that must have been there, even though they are not spoken of on a big mm -hmm. level. But I, it's culturally very much present. 
we've been here for a while, so there was something here to this. Right. And, yeah, three and a half. And that's all I have. Did you have anything else you'd like to add here? I have nothing more to talk about. You have bed to talk about. I can see <laughs> that that is the conversation that is going to be happening for Sarah here in about 20 minutes. <laughs> so we'll wrap it up. Next week, we took your votes. This one won. But Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was fairly popular as a choice. And we have not done... We've done a few live-action movies, much. but not much. But we liked the idea of doing something throwback and fun, and I'm sure I'm going to regret it once I watch it. <laughs> but for right now, also available on Disney+, Plus, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids seemed like a good time. So that is what we will be bringing to you next episode. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Latchkey Movies. You can give us a call at 402-885-4875. I'm sure there is something you can tell us we did wrong in this particular episode. We are latchkeymovies at gmail.com. If you would prefer to write your yelling out, that is also perfectly acceptable. I will read those emails. I might even respond back. And... I think that I am at the stage of, oh yeah, begging for you to tell a friend. That was what I was going to do for this episode. Tell a friend. We've been on a steady uptick, even in quarantine, just in overall weekly listens. So obviously some of you are talking. <clears throat> Not me anymore. The voice is going. So it seems like a good time to wrap it up. <laughs> Tell a friend. Tell a friend. <laughs> Listen, we'll talk to y'all next week. Bye. <laughs> Bye.